Good morning. We continue uh, in our first week of this fall series called Reset. What we're really trying to do is to have the Lord reset within our, what I would call our default settings of our beliefs, our values that result in both our feelings, our reactions, and our behaviors. So what I want to focus on today, again, and, and, and it's a little bit of reviewing what we looked at yesterday, but it's the idea of if you're going to change, you want it to be real change. But what's happened to many of us over the years is, particularly those of us who grew up in religious traditions, is that instead of real change, we've been more involved with religious change. And religious change has little to no value whatsoever, particularly when it comes to changing what really matters. So let me review with you what the difference between a real change and religious change involves. Religious change, for the just for lack of a better word, religious change is selfish. In other words, it's about how the sin affects you or how the mistakes affect you. Sorry for the consequences. You know, I'm sorry that I got caught. Sorry that other people are disappointed in me. Or I'm sorry that someone else is angry with me. Sometimes you even can hear it in the apology the person makes. I'm sorry if I hurt you. What a horrible, what a horrible uh, kind of apology that is. You see, it's because real change must be God-centered, not self-centered. Not sorry simply for the consequences of the sin, but sorry for the sin itself. Sorry of how it dishonors God. How having received such love and grace and mercy and forgiveness from God that I still do things that dishonor or displease God. Religious change is also self-righteous. It's selfish, it's self-righteous. And see, the heart of real change and, and where you will really see the greatest change in your life is when you begin to say, I'm God-centered, not self-centered. And religious change is self-righteous. In other words, because we feel bad, we, we figure out how to punish ourselves, whether it's guilt, shame, beating up on ourselves, uh, I mean, even uh, people have often physically uh, whipped themselves or caused pain to themselves. And, and their idea is, I, I need to convince God, or really it's probably convincing ourselves, that we are truly, truly sorry, that we're truly miserable, and we have tremendous regret, so that we can, by our depth of emotion or depth of punishment of self, we can deserve or be worthy of forgiveness. You see, this is, this is so anti-gospel. Scripture is really clear. There's only one payment. There's only one, been one suffering that is necessary. Jesus was punished in our place. I've had numerous people after services come up and say to me, as they, as they are convicted of their sin, they'll come up and say, you know, I, 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 I just feel like all I ever do is is hurt is you know hurt God and I need to be punished kind of thing and I'm like you're not getting it 
God chose to take the punishment on himself for your sin. So instead of constantly looking at your unworthiness, instead, have a heart of gratitude, a heart of faith that says, I am forgiven. The debt is paid. Otherwise, you will go into a self-righteous change instead of a God-centered change. And, and this is the other thing about change that's so important. If it's religious, which many of us have been trapped in religious change, is it's bitter to your soul. It's bitter all the way down. You see, because every time you sin or every time your weaknesses are revealed or every time you don't do what you think you should do or say what you think you should say, it becomes traumatic. It becomes threatening. Oh man, I thought I was further along. Oh, I, I thought I was so much better than this. See, if it's religious change, what happens is that you have to hide where your failures are. But if it is gospel change, if it is God-centered, if you are already accepted and the payment has been made, it becomes possible to be truly, truly honest. And you will not get freedom from an area of difficulty or bondage or weakness until you're really honest. The truth will set you free, but part of that is your own honesty. See, if I truly have centered my hope in Christ's righteousness, then it becomes okay when I see my own unrighteousness, when I see my own failings. And it's all right. It's not God trying to humiliate me. It's God trying to heal me. See, in religion, people repent less and less because they cannot admit how wrong they are, how weak they are, or how sinful they are. But the more accepted and the more loved that you are in, in the gospel, then we feel more and more often the impulse and the motivation to repent, to change. It's such an interesting thing is that we have all of these little legalistic traps in our lives. These things that keep us from changing, things that keep us from repenting. And one of those is this whole thing of religious selfishness, religious self-righteousness, and this religious hiding or veiling our true self. He knows you all the way to the bottom, God does. And he loves you all the way to the top. You can hide nothing from him. Nothing is hidden. But if you want to get free, then you got to get honest. And that's, that's where the truth begins to really be applied and set you free. Now, we're, per, we're working on and asking you to participate with us in a personal change project. Well, what I want to do right now, and this is very personal, but, but I want to give you one of my areas of personal change project. You see, what, where the Spirit has been putting His focus on me is my heart. You know, I've had a heart attack. I've had high blood pressure. I've had all these things. But for me, that's the physical aspect. But spiritually, He's been putting His focus on my heart. And I know that what he's asking is, Mike, will you allow me to melt your heart so that your heart will burn with love for Jesus? Your heart will be obsessed with Jesus like never before. Now, now let me give you a little context, at least personal context. The last three years have been a battle like I've never felt before. When we found out Lisa had cancer, 
Everything in our lives changed. Nothing has been the same since her cancer surgery and her cancer treatments, you know. It has affected her, but it has really affected me. And just as I, I, I got sort of a, can, a handle on, on being a husband, taking care of my wife, and, and being the partner she needs me to be, well, guess what? COVID hit. And <laughs> during COVID, it took all that I had, you know, changing up how we did ministry, how the church functioned, having devotions like this every day, trying to make contact with our people, trying to keep our people connected to the word, keep our people connected to each other in some way, and to me. And, you know, that was hard enough, but then this summer, a whole flood of trials came, a whole flood of things came that I didn't expect, some relationship conflicts that, that were completely, uh, took me by surprise. Health conflicts that I, I had no idea they were coming in June and July. When I had my heart attack in July and when I had my stroke, I wondered, I wondered if I'd get to be a pastor again. I wondered if life would ever be the same again. And I realized in the midst of all these things in these last three years, that I, my heart, my, not my physical heart, but my, my heart of hearts would have to be and could not survive unless it was completely melted with the love of God. You know, there are a lot of things, and I imagine it's true of you, there are a lot of things that really matter to me. Being a husband, being a father, these things are really important to me. Being the pastor of Risen King Church, you know, I... I have a certain sense of confidence in the work I've done in education and, and in my own education. And, and my health is important to me. All these things, they matter to me, but all these things are temporal. I've found out over the last three years, I have very little control. I had no control over Lisa's cancer. As a, as a father, my children are going through some very significant trials in their lives, adult children. I have no ability to protect them. Uh, I, I'm not downgrading the, the place or the power of prayer, but I'm just saying as a parent, I cannot keep them safe. I cannot keep them from the trials that they have to go to. You know, I've always, I, I've loved the idea that I'm Dr. Mike Plunkett. And if you want to know my full title, Reverend Dr. Mike Plunkett. But you know what, COVID is no respecter of persons. It didn't care that I had a title. It was no respecter of me. You know, as you look at, at life and you say, what am I, and Rob Bremer called it, what am I moored to? What dock am I moored to? What harbor am I in? And you start to realize a lot of times our hearts are tied to temporal things over which we have no control and which give us no eternal security or eternal certainty. And so I have asked the Lord in this season and I have seen that he's answering it. I said, melt my heart for Jesus. Any place that there was hardness, any place that there was the temporal mooring, there was the anchoring to something that was temporal, I've said, Lord, melt my heart for Jesus to love him, not because I understand everything, 
and to love him not because he's just, he's useful to me, but to love him like he loves me, to love him because, simply because I love him. The way he loves me is he loves me because he loves me. And he's asking me in this season, and, I, and I'm seeing this. Now, I, there are some behavioral things that I've put in my change project. But I, I, I'm telling you mine because I think this has to be yours as well. If there is anything in this life that you are anchored to, anything that you are more, you know, your rope, your anchor is, you know, attached to that's temporal, then it's going to fail you. And one of the things that, that happens to many of us is we don't realize how selfish we are. We don't realize how self-righteous we are. We don't realize how much we've put ourselves in a place where change is bitter instead of sweet. And it all goes back to the heart issue. Do I have this burning love? Do I have a melted heart? That's what it is to be spirit-filled, to have a burning heart, to have a melted heart. This is why I believe, as I shared yesterday, but I, I just think this should be something we begin to you know, have as a default setting. George Whitfield, the great evangelist, revivalist, he had an inventory they used daily. And he said, God, give me a deep humility, a burning love, a well-guided zeal, and a single eye. And then let men and devils do their worst. I just think this is, in, in, in my heart of hearts, this is where God is really saying, this is your change project, Mike. Deep humility. You know, Satan cannot do anything against a humble person, a man or a woman who has deep humility. And if we have a burning love, a melted heart, nothing will be able to stop us. We will become true overcomers more than conquerors. And then this is so, is so important. I love to live zealously. I love to live with passion, but he's saying not just to have zeal, but to have a well-guided zeal so that, so that your passion is not spilt, it's not wasted. And a singleness of eye. This is the thing that I have found through these three years of intense trials, is that my eyes cannot be off of Jesus. Uh, Dr. Neil Anderson was one of my mentors back uh, in the 90s. And I loved listening to him talk about this journey. And he was an expert on spiritual warfare. But he talked about this, and it was a great illustration. He said life could be pictured as a, as a path, or he would call it like an alleyway. And on all sides of the alleyway, there are windows and there, is these, there are these doors. But at the end of the pathway, at the end of the alley, there's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the, the object of your life is to keep your focus on Jesus, moving towards him, being drawn to Jesus, listening for his voice, keeping a single eye toward him. But he said, the problem is in the windows and the doors all along the alleyway, there are people calling to you. There's accusations, there's temptations, there's deceptions, there's seductions. And, and the, the goal, he always said, was to keep on that path, on that alley, and to keep your eye on Jesus. Keep your longing and passion for Jesus. He said, don't listen 
to the seduction. Don't listen to the temptation. Don't listen to deception. Keep a single eye. Well, Whitfield said that in the 18th century as well. But the Apostle Paul, speaking to us, and this is our text for today, the Apostle Paul really says that change has to come in the default settings of your life, what you believe, what you value. And here's what our scripture passage is for today. It's, it is a direct attack by the Apostle Paul on religious change. Listen to what he says. This is Colossians 2, verses 20 through 23. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom, but with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Uh, you know, it all seems really clear when Paul states it in such black and white terms, but our first impulse when we want to change is to get a new set of rules. Tell me what I can do. Tell me what I can't do. But what Paul says is something more powerful than a new list of do's and don'ts has now made its place in your life. It's the accomplishment of Jesus on the cross is now to your account. See, you don't have anything more to prove because Jesus is the proof. The cross is the proof. But what legalism does, and that's what Paul's talking about, the, the behavioralism and and, and being able to, in a way, to say, well, here is how I know I'm accepted because I keep these rules, because I do this better than other people. Legalism is basically saying, I still have something to prove, and I have to prove myself to God. But real repentance, real change is accepting and applying, no matter how bad you've been or how, how religious you've been, it doesn't matter but it's accepting and applying what Jesus has done for you on the cross and to take it as your own and to come before God in his record, not your record. This is how we truly experience justification, being fully acceptable to God, being fully loved by God, being treated as if you were Jesus because of what Jesus has done. He's your sacrifice. He's your substitute. You see, you don't honor Jesus by trying to prove that you're a good person. You honor Jesus by accepting what Jesus has done for you as a person who is not a good person. See, when we try to change in order to justify ourselves, in order to make ourselves worthy or acceptable, we are actually rejecting Jesus and rejecting his work that was done on our behalf. We're trying to make a record for ourselves instead of accepting the record that Jesus is offering to us. 
one of the books we're using, You Can Change by Tim Chester. He said it this way, when we try to prove ourselves by our own good works, we're saying in effect that the cross wasn't enough. See, a, a spiritual reset will not come because you try harder or you do more, but it'll only come when you first accept that Jesus' cleansing has cleansed you. As Satan may accuse you, and your past may have a lot of sin in it. But if you accept what Jesus has done for you, then not only are you clean, but you are beautiful. And you're beautiful to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and you are loved, you are forgiven. And that begins to change us in profound ways. One of the biblical definitions of repentance is to change your mind. So, what we're saying in our change project, you'll notice that my change project wasn't a rule. It was melt my heart. I want burning love in every area of my heart for the Lord Jesus Christ. So as I, I don't want it just to be a new set of rules that I'm going to try to follow or try to achieve. Paul said rules only have the appearance of reigning in our flesh. When in reality, repentance is much more than just getting a new set of rules so I can appear righteous. Instead, it's receiving Jesus' righteousness and by faith, beginning to accept that I am righteous in Christ, that I really do have a robe of righteousness. It was interesting uh, this past Sunday as I was preaching and I I had numerous times in both services where I broke down emotionally and I, I was weeping. And I know some, it's, I mean, for me, I'm not ever ashamed of that. I love emotion. I've never met an emotion I didn't like. But I know that some people were, were wanting to comfort me or wanting to, um, you know, encourage me because maybe for some of them, my emotion was a little uncomfortable. But there was one person who came to me and they said something so interesting. It, it, it was a person I did not know, met for the first time. And, and they said they saw the Lord Jesus put a robe of righteousness over me as I was preaching. And that was, that was beautiful and significant. And it was very affirming and confirming. But at the same time, you see, in a way, that's a lovely thing but you don't need a prophetic word to know that you have his robe of righteousness. You just need faith. And it wasn't because I was preaching a sermon or it wasn't because I was leading the church. It's because by faith, my dirty rags, my old filthy rags have been taken off and my old self has been taken off and my new self is clothed with Christ. And that was, that was true before I preached and it was true after. I, it still was a beautiful, it was beautiful and confirming and I, I was so happy with what, I mean, it was encouraging. But the truth was, it, it was true. And, and the truth, it's true of you if you're in Christ. You're walking around in the robe of his righteousness. Your old clothes have been put away and not even given to goodwill. They've been taken out and burned. They've been taken out and buried in the grave. All th old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, if you can begin to understand that and operate and say, wait, I'm walking around 
in the robe of righteousness. Now, you have to ask from that, okay, so if I am this new person, if I am accepted, now what really needs to change? Now, you know, most of us, we know we need to change, but we get tripped up on how to change often. So at least for today, we're saying this is how not to change. And Paul's writing about it in his letter to the Colossians. And he says, we often place, you know, things, rules in our way. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And he says, these rules can never bring about change. They don't possess any ability to restrain. Tim Chester again says, it seems our first instinct, we want to change is to do something. We, we think activity will change us. We want a list of do's and don'ts. And this is, you know, in Jesus' day, it was ceremonial washings and religious rituals. Today, it's kind of spiritual disciplines or sets of laws or rules or applications. Uh, Chester says, I've tried these approaches. I've written out little rituals to perform every morning. I've tried to regulate my behavior with lists. Many of these things are good in themselves and will discover the role they can play in helping us grow in holiness, but our rituals and our disciplines cannot change us. You know, here's one of the ways it's so interesting. You can begin to get very um, discerning about this. Legalistic remorse says, I broke God's rules. Real repentance says, I broke God's heart. You know, it, it, I mean, it's so, it gets so good when you think about it. You see, if you don't have this melted heart, then all you're thinking of, what will be the consequences if I break God's rules? But when you really have this changed heart, you start to say, you know what I just did broke God's heart. It isn't just that it's inappropriate. It's not just that it's a bad thing to do. It's that I hurt the one who loves me because he loves me. You see, the great contrast here is not the rules versus not, versus not having rules. The great controversy here is at the depth of your heart, at the control center of your life, are you God-centered or are you self-centered? You see, you can be a self-centered legalist or you can be as self-centered in the world, the word in scripture is licentious, or it, uh, theologically it's called antinomianism, in other words, a person who has no law and has no rules and says, look, I'm, I'm, I'm saved, you know, I, I'm free, I can do whatever I want to do, or even like secular people who tend to say, you know, just do what you feel, what feels good to you kind of a thing. But you see, Paul addresses this and the error of saying, I can do whatever I want to do by saying that, that all of the unrighteousness that comes out of this, all of this unrighteousness is condemned. I mean, Paul in Romans 1, he says, they are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. You look at those things and that's what comes out of the human heart that is self-centered and says, I will obey or I will follow no law. He says, though they know God's righteous decree, those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only get, do them, but give approval to those who practice them. You see, self-centered licentiousness is death. 
But then Paul says self-centered legalism is also death. The legalist is at root, Paul says in Romans 2. They're a hypocrite. Because while a sinner, that sinner seeks to justify him or herself by judging according to their own personal standards. Paul explains, there is no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the same things. Legalism reveals, and this is so important, you see, legalism reveals a hard and impenitent heart. That's the opposite of a burning love in your heart. That's the opposite of a melted heart. You see, it's not about committing errors. It's not about getting rules that then you can keep. It's about a changed and burning heart. You know, ultimately, self-centeredness is the problem and God-centeredness is the solution. Um, so here's the Holy Spirit's agenda today, friends, that we repent of our self-centered way of living and we seek God's glory we seek his honor. We seek his love through Christ. So the Holy Spirit's agenda is to renew your image, to renew yourself by glory. Oh, the glory is the beauty that you've always longed to, to have, the purity you've always longed to have, the weight that can withstand anything, and the worth that is unconditional and imperishable. That will never, that restoration of your image by glory, sustained by glory, will never be done by external change. So the questions today is, are there any legalistic rules that have tripped you up and kept you from changing? Are there any legalistic rules that are holding you back, that, that you're, you're suppressing you know, the, you're trying to suppress the symptoms, but you're not getting at the heart of a burning and melted heart. And is there anywhere where God is saying, I need you to change your mind right here. This is where transformation will happen. See, deep humility, guided passion, burning love, a single eye. Where is the spirit convicting you?